In the new millennium, we're seeing more patients make use of reproductive technology to attain the dream of childbearing. Many ethical issues have been raised in the care of these patients, particularly those who undergo IVF. You're listening to ReachMD, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lisa Mizzullo, a practicing physician, and with me today is Dr. Tarun Shane, who is a fertility specialist and IVF director at Chicago IVF in Illinois. Welcome, Dr. Shane. Thank you very much. So we thought we'd talk today a little bit about the management of embryos in the use of IVF and after IVF has been accomplished. And I think we want to just start with how are embryos manufactured during infertility treatment? It's after a process of patients undergoing in vitro fertilization treatment where we stimulate their ovaries with medications and then extract those mature eggs from their ovaries, inseminate them with their partner's sperm to create embryos in the lab. And an average patient who's under the age of 35, how many embryos do you think you get in one cycle? On average, we retrieve approximately 10 eggs 10 oocytes, and of those, approximately 70% fertilize. So on average, about seven embryos. And how about in the patient over 35? Patient over 35, it tends to be fewer. As women get older, their ovaries don't respond as well, so we tend to get fewer eggs and subsequently fewer embryos. You know, I think this discussion is obviously well-timed as recently someone had octuplets, which has staggered, I think, the public in the discussion of how infertility is actually done. With that in mind, how many embryos are usually implanted when someone is completed that stage of their IVF? Yeah, that's a great question. It really varies. There are national guidelines that all of us follow, and it depends on the patient's age as well as their prior success with such treatment and the quality of their embryos. So in a woman under 35 with good quality embryos, typically the guidelines call for one or maximum of two embryos. Women 36 to 38, it goes from a maximum of two to three embryos, 38 to 40, a maximum of three to four. And over 40, since these patients have a very poor prognosis overall, the recommendation calls for up to a maximum of five embryos. And what happens to the embryos that are not used from the original retrieval cycle? So there are a couple of options. One option is, and it's really dependent on what the patient would like. If the patient wants to discard the remaining embryos, that can happen. More commonly, most patients prefer to freeze any extra good quality embryos. If they wanted to use those in the future, what is the success of a frozen embryo in a cycle versus a fresh embryo? The success from frozen embryos tends to be slightly lower than with fresh, and most likely because the best embryos are transferred in the fresh cycle. So the frozen embryos are likely to be of slightly lower quality, and thus the success rate is slightly lower. Is there any difference in how much time they're frozen before they're used as far as their viability? No. We've now seen that embryos that have been frozen for many years tend to result in pregnancies just as well as embryos that have been frozen for a few months. So do you think around the country there's a fairly large percentage of these embryos frozen in a fertility center? There are, because often patients conceive from such treatment and they choose not to have any more children. And so over time, there's been an increase in the number of embryos that have been stored in fertility centers. There was a study back in 2002 which approximated that there are nearly 400,000 embryos in storage across fertility centers in the U.S. That's quite an impressive number. Is there a charge to patients to store frozen embryos? 
Yeah, there is a nominal charge. Most centers do have a storage fee, and it's in the order of a few hundred dollars per year. And do you think in running a frozen cycle with a frozen embryo versus a fresh cycle, there is a significant cost reduction for patients? There is. The cost for undergoing a frozen embryo transfer is significantly lower than with a fresh. Furthermore, there's also a decrease in risk overall since it's a much easier process physically. They don't have to undergo the ovarian stimulation or the egg retrieval, so it's easier. What are some of the potential uses for these extra embryos that are being produced? The most common use would be for someone who did not succeed in a fresh cycle to come back and use their embryos in a frozen cycle, or if they've succeeded to come back and use them to have more children if they wish. Other options, however, are if they completed their childbearing, they can choose to discard those embryos. More emerging options include the possibility of donating those embryos towards research, or there's been a controversial approach of donating the embryos to other couples with the idea, and some people have tried to even profit from doing that, to sell their embryos to other couples, which is the controversial area. Right. So if someone was adopting a child or doing surrogacy, Essentially, you would be using someone else's genetic material. What do you think the controversy is greater in this regard? I think the controversy lies in there's a special regard for embryos, and our own medical society, our ethics committee, feels that embryos should not be commoditized. So it is appropriate and legitimate to donate your embryos, whether it be for research purposes or to help other couples, but it should not be for the purpose of selling the embryos. Do you regard surrogacy in the society the same way? Surrogacy is a little different because the reason to undergo surrogacy most commonly is because if a woman is physically not able to carry a child, she's had a prior hysterectomy or the uterus is in a condition where it just cannot support a pregnancy. So surrogacy is different because there's a real physiologic reason for a couple to consider surrogacy. So in giving up an embryo for adoption as an act of kindness, it's acceptable, but obviously looking for if monetary gain is not encouraged. Correct. Our society has a position statement saying that that is ethically unacceptable, and most all of us agree with that. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing. As far as donating the embryos for research, what kind of research is being done with the embryos? Yeah, so the very promising research, really stem cell research. So these early embryos have cells which have a potential to develop into any other tissue. And there's been very promising research that this type of technology can lead to treatment and cures of conditions like diabetes, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, spinal cord injury. So really very promising research. In the past several years, there's been a moratorium from the federal government towards giving federal funding to support such research. So really the opportunities have been minimal. If you're just joining us, we're discussing the challenges of embryo management after a previous IVF cycle with Dr. Tarun Jain, who's the director of Chicago IVF Division in Illinois. I'm Dr. Lisa Mazzullo, and we're on ReachMD XM160. So we were talking recently about stem cell research. What are the federal regulations on the use of embryos currently for stem cell research? The current regulations stem from the most recent Bush administration, where they strictly limited any federal funding that could go towards embryonic stem cell research, uh, limiting it only to the pre-existing stem cell lines 
from embryos that have been created prior to August of 2001. No one can do federally funded research on any new uh, stem cell lines, any new embryos. And there is talk that the current administration, the Obama administration, is considering reversing that position. It sounded like when he was campaigning, that was a very strong positive that they would like to restart more extensive federal support of the stem cell research, which I think we all find very exciting. Exactly. I think most people agree that this is a very promising area in medicine where it can really lead to dramatic changes in how we care for patients and how we treat diseases. Yeah, I, I think it can be extremely revolutionary. I mean, probably the rise of genetic medicine that we saw in the last decade, we're hoping that stem cell research becomes the next frontier, if you will, for really treating some major problems for patients that have been so difficult in the past. Absolutely. And it really also provides these infertility patients who have extra embryos stored but are not sure of how to take care of them if they don't need them any longer. This would be a great avenue for them to contribute towards helping other people down the line. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Well, I understand recently you conducted a study about patient preferences in infertility populations and what they think the embryo should be used for. Tell us a little bit about what your findings in that study were. Yeah, this was very interesting. We surveyed um, over a thousand patients, infertility patients, presenting to our clinic in Chicago. And we asked them a couple of questions. One was, what is their support for using leftover embryos for stem cell research? In that particular scenario, we found that approximately 73% of our respondents felt that using leftover embryos for stem cell research should be allowed. We asked this question during a time when, as we discussed, the government does not allow federal funds to support this. So this was very interesting because really the infertility patients are the gatekeepers. They control and own these embryos, and the majority of infertility patients support the idea of using embryos for such research. The other question we inquired about was, what is their support towards selling embryos, extra embryos, to other couples? Should that be allowed? And surprisingly, 56% of the infertility patients felt that it should be allowed. Hmm, interesting. Was this done in the current economy, or when was the study run? This was done prior to the current downturn in the economy. This was done in 2006. And you're, so you're saying that the patients actually thought half of the time that selling them was a good idea? Correct. We did find that there were differences in, in the backgrounds of the patients who would support selling. For example, there was a lower support for selling embryos among patients who had never been pregnant. In other words, that couples who had other children were more likely to support selling their embryos and similarly more likely to support stem cell research. Were you surprised by that finding? No, that makes some sense to me because I think the couples who have other children would be more apt to want to find other avenues to take care of their embryos as opposed to couples who have maybe not completed their family would be more apt to hang on, want to hang on to their embryos. Is there a precedent in Europe or in other parts of the country where embryo sales do exist? That's a good question. As far as I know, in Europe, it is not allowed. And Europe is a very different situation overall because most European countries, the government funds infertility treatment. So most patients don't have to bear the costs of going through fertility treatment. And that takes away the whole financial side of things. 
In the United States, it's a different story. There are some states which do have insurance coverage mandates, Illinois being one of them. So would you think that in a lot of the situation, the 50% of patients who thought sales made sense are trying to recover some of the cost of what they've already spent in their own attempt for pregnancy? That's certainly a distinct possibility because many couples do have to bear a significant cost to undergo such treatment. And it would make sense that this may be a way for them to try to recoup some of the costs and plus the effort. I mean, they have gone through a lot to get to that point of having the embryos. Mm, Of course. Was there anything else in your perception study that you found that was interesting or different than what you expected? The other interesting aspect in this stem cell research question was that there was a lower support for patients wanting to donate their embryos for stem cell research if they were African-American or Hispanic. This points towards that there may be cultural factors that also influence patient behavior. I find that interesting because I think that's true for adoption in general. If you speak to a lot of folks of different racial and ethnic backgrounds, their thoughts on adoption are very different than maybe other patients in the population. Exactly. And this goes towards we need to look at each patient and couple differently and really understand their belief system and their cultural differences. Really, everyone has a different view and take on such an important question. I think this has always been a stymied issue for people who deal with infertility patients because so often there is a very skewed sense of racial and socioeconomic groups that do get infertility treatment because, as you said, in this country, it's not often covered by insurance well, and and often folks who can pay for it get it. And so I think we don't have that diverse population for the research that we'd like to do. Absolutely, and that's what it's great to be in Chicago. It's such a diverse population, and You're absolutely right. There are socioeconomic disparities in infertility in general. There are many barriers in various populations. And so my other research has focused on identifying those barriers and subsequently trying to find ways to lower those barriers to allow a diverse group of patients to be able to access fertility treatment because it really affects all populations. In fact, it affects African-American and Hispanic populations to a greater degree relative to Caucasian population. Well, we look forward to seeing more research on both of these issues. Thank you so much to Dr. Tarun Jain, who's been our guest and who's been discussing embryo management in patients who have undergone IVF or infertility treatment. I'm Dr. Lisa Mizzullo. You're listening to ReachMD, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. For a complete program guide and podcasts, visit ReachMD.com. And for comments and questions, call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM160. Thank you.